Welcome to this edition of the Alabama Historical Association's podcast program. I'm your host, Marty Olaf, and I talk with people who conduct interesting research and do interesting things concerning Alabama history. You can find out more about the Alabama Historical Association, a membership organization devoted to Alabama history, by pointing your browser at our website, www.alabamahistory.net. Our guest today is the Alabama Historical Association President for 2021 through 2022, Ben Severance, a professor of history at Auburn University, Montgomery. Ben, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Marty, for that introduction. I'm honored and delighted to be the, I think, the 74th president of the Alabama Historical Association. I want to give a shout out to Frazine Taylor, who is my predecessor. Frazine has the dubious honor of having been the longest serving president of the AHA due to the COVID pandemic, which extended her term an extra year. And I guess that makes me the longest serving vice president, having, having served the two years under her. As the incoming president, I do have a few things that I'd like to try to accomplish. Uh, none of them are particularly original, but I think they're important. The first one, and this is one that I'll be working with the executive committee of, of the organization to achieve, is kind of intensify the AHA's outreach to college students, particularly history majors. We have done this in the past, but college student participation is erratic. I'd like to pick up the numbers and look to the future. History majors and graduate students, they're the future generation of historians, and they're the future generation of the membership of this organization. And I'd like to inject a little more youth into the organization. I've talked with Mark Wilson, the organization's long-serving secretary, indispensable man, about devising some methods by which we can bring in some more students if for no other reason than to invite you know, the top students from various colleges to attend the annual meeting and just see what it's like to be at a meeting. History students, about the most they ever get exposure to the world of historians is in the classroom, listening to a professor lecture or reading some book. But it's nice to, if we could invite them to come to the environment where historians socialize and share a wide range of thoughts, which is typically what happens at these annual meetings. Another goal is to continue the efforts of my predecessor, outgoing president, Frazing Taylor, to diversify the Alabama Historical Association. Some of you may be familiar with the Task Force One program that she was involved in. Marty, I think you were intimately connected with that. It enjoyed success, and it's not just diversifying the membership, but the content and the focus of what the organization typically presents at meetings I don't want what she started to languish, but I'll try to do my part to sustain the momentum of that initiative. And then the last goal I have is to basically ensure a smooth handoff to Jim Baggett, who is the current vice president uh, from the Birmingham Public Library System. He'll be the president after me, and, I, and, I, and hopefully the, I haven't botched the organization so badly that, that we can't keep going. Those are the three plans, the goals, visions, Again, they're, they're not scintillating, but I think they're important to emphasize and pursue. And to that end, while president, we've got the two big events that happen every year are the pilgrimage and the annual meeting. And I'd like to say a little bit about both of those. I'm excited about both of those. The first is the pilgrimage. 
It's going to be held on October 2nd, 2021 at the historic Blakely State Park, which is run by Mike Bunn. Some of you may know him. He's a, you know, just a top-notch guy, great historian and, and great person who has done a lot of excellent work in revitalizing the historic Blakely State Park, including the Fort Blakely grounds. But that's going to be a big one-day event, October 2nd. There may be some activities the night before for those of you who've come to pilgrimages, but there'll be hotel accommodations and all that provided, uh, information on the website and newsletter. To, all this is forthcoming. I've recruited several professional and your, your lay historians to talk about Mobile during the Civil War era. Blakely State Park is across the bay from Mobile, and there was a battle fought at Fort Blakely right at the end of the Civil War. I've got Paul Bruski and Paula Webb and Mike Bailey and John Sledge to be part of a four-person roundtable to discuss whatever they wanted. You know, they, they're all, they've all written extensively about Mobile during the Civil War era, and I just want them to share their thoughts, their favorite moments, the highlights of the whole thing. And then after the roundtable, we've got a tour of the battleground, the fort, and then a boat tour. If anyone has, has never taken a little boat tour down there of, of the waterways, it's a really lovely excursion, and hopefully the weather cooperates and we, we have a beautiful pilgrimage. Then there's the annual meeting. That's a more extensive affair. That'll be held up in Florence. And I put kind of in quotes again, that was where the annual meeting was supposed to have been held this last year, had the pandemic not wrecked everyone's plans. I, again, have to give great thanks to Frazine Taylor, who's kind of done a lot of the preliminary work in preparing Florence for the annual meeting. I'll pick up, modify, and fine-tune that, but that's where the annual meeting will take place on the 7th through the 9th of April, 2022. And again, there's going to be a lot more information about what's going to happen there, the paper sessions, the surrounding events. Uh, I will share with you that I have cured, as the keynote speaker, Don Noble, uh, who you may know from the Alabama Public Radio. He's for years and years, has done excellent book reviews of both history and literature on Alabama or books by Alabamians. And so I've asked him to come and share his many years of experience as a book reviewer and his opinion of Alabama literature. He's a great speaker and graciously accepted, and I think he'll be an asset to the whole meeting. Those are my plans for my presidency and the big events that you can all look forward to. That sounds like a pretty good agenda. I think you started out with the right idea of passing along the organization intact to your successor. That's always a good thing to have on your agenda. And it's one of the most scary things about being president of the Alabama Historical Association is that that fear of the thing will be less when you're done with it than when you took it over. It has not happened in the past. I don't see it happening now. Some of our listeners and Alabama Historical Association members might not know you as well as they'd like to. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, sure. I came to Alabama, the Auburn University at Montgomery, 2005. So I've been a professor here for 16 years. But before that, I spent nine years in Knoxville, Tennessee, getting my PhD there, then working on the presidential papers of James K. Polk. I was an associate editor there for a couple of years and really enjoyed that. And then before that, from the late 80s into the early 90s, I was a lieutenant in the U.S. Army, commissioned ROTC through the University of Washington 
way back in the in the uh, what my youngest daughter calls the 1900s. My dad was a career Navy officer, and then I spent some time in the Army, and I've always been fascinated by by military history, and that has certainly carried through with my own work in graduate school and as a professor, because my specialty area is the American Civil War. I know American history more broadly. Uh, those of you who are in academia, you, you don't just teach your favorite, or you got to cover the gamut of American history, which I greatly enjoy as well. But the Civil War era in particular, and specifically since graduate school, I have focused a lot on the South and the Confederacy, both when I was at the University of Tennessee, my dissertation, which became my first book, Tennessee's Radical Army, which was a study of the reconstruction battles between the Republican Unionist militia system and the Ku Klux Klan in the state. And then when I came here to Montgomery in 05, I shifted my research to Alabama. I say somewhat jokingly, I think I'm a good scholar, but I'm also a lazy scholar. I pretty much try to become an historian of the area where I'm living because all of the primary sources are right there. I don't have to take trips to Russia like my colleague in the history department who's a Russian historian. All of the primary sources are in Russia or another colleague is a specialist in China, has to go to China. I just can go down the road to the Alabama Department of Archives and History and look through all of the wonderful materials they have there when I want to focus on Alabama during the Civil War. And if, if I get home and then realize to myself, oh, I forgot to look at a particular folder, I don't have to charter another plane and fly back to wherever, I just drive down the road. That emphasis has led to my other two books, Portraits of Conflict, A Photographic History of Alabama During the Civil War, which came out in 2012, which is an array of photographs, mostly housed in the Department of Archives downtown. But I tell the story of Alabama during the Civil War through images. You can get a pretty good overview of the Civil War in Alabama by looking at that book. It's not just a picture book. It's, it's about 250 photographs laid out more or less in chronological order, depicting the struggle through individual experiences through that conflict. And then lately, I published just last year, um, A War State All Over, Alabama Politics and the Confederate Cause with the University of Alabama Press. And I'm especially proud of that one. I'm proud of all my work. But that one was a deep dive into politics in Alabama during the Civil War. And I really was wrestling with the question of allegiance and commitment to the Confederacy as the war progressed and as the Confederate military fortunes were waning badly with each passing year, I found that the political establishment in Alabama remained pretty strongly committed to the Confederate cause right to the end. I'm not Alabama society in general was gung-ho for the cause. That's a much more diverse viewpoint there. But the political leadership, even when they could see impending doom, still resolutely held on to the end. And I examined the election of 1863, right in the middle of the war, which is a pretty important gauge of popular opinion. And then I look at some of the legislative policies that they implemented and how these politicians are voting. That's maybe have belabored the details of my work there, but those are the kinds of things I'm really interested in. Military history, political history, as it pertains to Alabama, and then the South more broadly, and the Confederacy. I'm less knowledgeable of what's going on up in Massachusetts or Michigan and Minnesota. I know quite a bit about what's happening in Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, and, and, which is pertinent for the area in which we're living. 
Do you have any other projects that you're coming up with? Yeah, there's a couple of things I'm working on. Again, focusing on Alabama. I want to get a handle on a numbers challenge within Alabama regarding mobilization during the Civil War. Exactly how many Alabamians served and in what capacity. There's a variety of numbers when I look at the scholarship, you know, ranging from anywhere between as few as 60,000 Alabamians to as many as 120,000 Alabamians served. Somewhere in the middle there is where I think we're going to get. And the same with casualty numbers, uh, how many died. I've seen as few as 16,000 Alabamians died and as many as 40,000 Alabamians died. And I just kind of want to get a handle on the numbers. And what I wanted to also explore the degree to which slaveholders were invested in the military contribution. There's this expression that has bothered me for years about a rich man's war and a poor man's fight. I'm not entirely convinced that that's true. I think that a lot of the rich men, the slaveholding class, was pretty heavily invested in the outcome of the war, certainly out of proportion to most of America's other wars where the rich tend to find ways to avoid being involved and can protect their families. But I can't really know that until I do a census study of who in the Alabama ranks are the slaveholders and what is their contribution and what happens to them. We'll see where that goes. I'm getting into a lot of data. As a colleague of mine who's done a lot of cleometric studies, you spend months and months and months collecting all this data, and then you end up reducing it down to about two paragraphs when you actually write it. So it, it, it comes across in prose as not looking like a whole lot of work when, in fact, a whole bunch went into it. On a more lighthearted note, there's a play written by William Russell Smith, who was a Confederate congressman from Tuscaloosa. He's a quasi-unionist. He's kind of a curmudgeon, really. He's not really sure whether he's committed to the Confederacy or not. But he wrote a play during the war called The Royal Ape, which is a parody of Abraham Lincoln. And there's not a lot of Confederate literature. The, the country doesn't exist long enough to really establish a big pattern. You do have Augusta Jane Evans. She was a woman writer from Mobile who wrote a novel during the Civil War about the Southern struggle. And William Russell Smith has written a play. And not a whole lot's been done about that. And I think what I'd like to do is annotate the play write an introduction, putting it in context, and try to get that published. Because it, while it's not a work of Shakespeare, it does have its humorous moments, and it does shed some light onto what a, a troubled Southern politician has to say about the war through the lens of literature as opposed to an op-ed piece or something like that. It is pretty fascinating. I haven't found anyone having done anything with that. And those are my projects. I think that this conversation is a good insight into how historians come up with the questions and the studies that they want to pursue further on. You found, quite literally, as we tell our students, the gap in the literature, <laughs> especially in this last project, and, and you're filling it. And then a question that's of interest, as you said, you didn't fully accept this idea of a rich man's war and a poor man's fight. So you're going to look into that. Uh, that's exactly what we teach our students in historical methods classes and what every historian sees themselves doing, whether they do it for profession or whether they do it avocationally. Ben, is there anything that we haven't talked about? Oh, sure. Lots of things. Now, I think this is a little insight into who I am. I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm looking forward to being the president. I will say, you know, when I was first asked to be vice president, there was a, that moment of anxiety and trepidation. I was like, oh boy, because I know where this leads. Vice president leads to president. 
and all of us are busy and, and we're, we're worried we won't be able to allocate the right time and do the right job. But I'm committed to this. I love the Alabama Historical Association. It's a great organization of the various professional organizations I'm a part of. This is the best one. It's excellent uh, material is presented and it's got first rate people that I enjoy talking to. I can't say that about every organization I'm involved in. And I'm also glad that we're going to finally get back face to face with our meetings. The, the, the pandemic shunted us into our little cloisters and we, we need to get back out and socialize as scholars again. The last meeting was done by Zoom, and I applaud Mark Wilson and Maven Beard and all the others that helped pull that off. They weren't expecting to do it, but it turned out to be an excellent virtual conference. But it'll be great to get face-to-face again, and I'm looking forward to a good year. As am I, and I think we are in good hands, and we're going to have that good year. Ben, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Marty. Thank you for joining us today. This has been another edition of the Alabama Historical Association podcast program. Our music is the traditional tune, Whistle By, performed at city stages in 1996 by James Bryan and Carl Jones. It's provided courtesy of the Alabama Folklife Association, which you can find on the web at alabamafolklife.org. 